The fourth horseman of the apocalypse is called Death, and he will be responsible for killing one-fourth of the population of the earth. What does this have to do with Satan's goal of a false apocalypse and one world government? And what are the beasts of the earth? We'll talk about that on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation. We are still on Revelation chapter 6, the opening of the six seals, which includes the four horsemen. And as I've been uh, saying for the past several episodes, I'm looking at Revelation chapter 6 from my vantage point, which is the idea that these six seals, the four horsemen and the um, other two seals, are not judgments from God, as is the traditional point of view, but that this is actually a deception from Satan to create a false apocalypse in order to install his false Messiah and implement his uh, false Eden, his false world government, which will be what we call what's commonly known as the new world order or this one world government. And we've already looked at the first horseman, which I believe is the Antichrist. And that's that's pretty uh, regularly, pretty readily believed by all commentators that the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist, who is, again, the false Messiah, the false Jesus that Satan is setting up because he wants to have his false trinity with him as God, his uh, Antichrist as the false Jesus and the and the uh, false prophet as the fake Holy Spirit. And of course, as a Messiah, he needs to save the earth. He needs to save the world, be our savior. But of course, he needs something to save the world from. And that's where we get into the next two horsemen, which we talked about next week. The excuse me, we talked about last week, the red and black horse with the red horseman not being war in a military sense, but uh, um, actually a massive, massive blood sacrifice of human beings with men killing or slaughtering or spot sewing each other. And we can go to the last episode to, to get more into that, but it is a, a blood sacrifice that will unleash a massive amount of satanic demonic energy into the world. And then the black horseman is not famine in the sense of scarcity, but actually economic manipulation that will cause money to be worth so little that people will not be able to afford to eat food though they won't be able to afford to feed themselves and it will result in massive starvation which will be part of the population control agenda which we'll talk about much more in this episode but also again economic control because as the golden rule from the secular standpoint is whoever owns the gold uh, makes the rules so whoever controls finances controls the world this is satan consolidating his economic power over the world through his uh, banking cartels, which these elites who currently run the banking system, and they can easily uh, manipulate our finances through overprinting of money to create hyperinflation, which will again control the world through economics. And now we're in this episode, we're going to talk about the rider on the fourth horse, which is who is called Death. So, you know, he's a probably a pretty <laughs> great guy, right? And then we will also get into the, the opening of the fifth seal, which is a martyr's. And what they, what the martyrs say and how God responds to them is one of my primary proof points that these these six seals, the, the four horsemen and the other two seals are not judgments from God, but are from Satan. Again, what the martyrs say and how God responds, I think is a pretty clear proof that this is from Satan. So 
without further ado, let's just dive in by reading the, um, the, the passage that deals with these two seals. We're going to go, so we're going to Revelation chapter 6, starting with verse, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with pestilence, and by the beasts of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Okay, that is what we will be covering today, and let's just start uh, breaking down these verses. So when he had opened the fourth seal, of course, this is, this is the Lamb, Jesus, opening that sixth seal, the seventh seal book, excuse me, seven seals on the book, which is a title deed to the earth. And those seals, as I uh, believe, as I stated before, I believe that they represent the Holy Spirit. And as they are broken, this is the Holy Spirit is a restrainer uh, uh, being taken away and Satan no longer being restrained, allowing him full access, full unfettered access or, or uh, to to be able to implement his plans without any interference from God or from the spirit of God. And the fourth living creature said, come and see. He, that actually, the word is not come and see, is actually come or go or proceed. Basically the beast, the beast, I'm sorry, the, the cherubim, the living creature is saying, giddy up, get going, you are released. The seal is broken, you're free to go. And he's talking to, he's not talking to John, he's talking to the horse and the horseman. So he says, giddy up, and the horse starts trotting. And he sees a pale horse. That word pale is actually the Greek word chloros, which means a, a, a pale, sickly, green color. It's the color that people get when they're sick, you know, depending on your complexion, your skin tone. When people are really sick unto death, they get this really, uh, you know, really ugly pale color to them as, as you know, blood is being drained from them and they, they, they look like they're dying. They get a really pallid color to their skin. So obviously this is really denoting this sickness, disease, death, this is this um, aspect of dying. And again, that's, that I think that's a symbol of what this horse, horse and horseman represents. And the name of him who sat on the horse was death. Now this is the only horseman who's named. So the other horsemen, we kind of, we infer names on them. The white rider we call the Antichrist, and I believe that's who he is. The red rider is called war, and I don't think that's who he is. We talked about this in the last episode, as well as a black horseman who we call famine, and I don't think it's a famine of scarcity. Again, I think it's a famine of, or, or a lack of food due to economics. So those are all our human um, labels we give them. But this horseman, there's, there's no um, controversy about who he is. He is called death. So who is he? Well, there, there's a possibility that this is the angel of death who we first see in the Exodus narrative in the book of Exodus when the children of, of Israel are um, about uh, when God's getting them released from their bondage in Egypt and God sends the, the, the 10 plagues on the, onto Pharaoh and, and, the, and the Egyptians. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn. 
and the Jews are told to put the blood of, of a lamb on their doorpost and the angel of death will pass over them, hence where we get Passover from the, the, uh, the Jewish feast of Passover and the angel of death will pass over them and he will you know, slay any male child that is in a household that does not have the blood on him. So who is the angel of death? Well, it's possible that it is a, a good angel who just happened to be over death and people who believe that these uh, uh, these four horsemen are from God, their judgments from God would say this is the same entity, it's the angel of death that God used in, in Egypt in the Exodus. However, it doesn't have to necessarily be a good angel. God can use um, evil uh, demonic beings. Actually, I'll give you an example later on in this episode about how God can readily use evil to accomplish his goals, but he does it all through the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar was his tool to judge Israel. And so was Cyrus, the Persian, and you know, Darius, the Persians, when they, the Persian, also the, of the Persian empire who, who um, had power over the children of Israel. God use, can use evil to his, you know, for his own reasons. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that this angel of death was a good guy. It could have been a bad guy that God used before. And this angel, and this one called death, again, could just be a, um, a fallen angel, a, a demonic creature that God uses. Another example or another idea of, of who this could be, this could actually be Satan. Why? Because in the series that I did um, blogs and podcasts on called Know Your Enemy, where we do a deep dive into our spiritual enemy, Satan, the fallen angels and demons, we see that Satan is actually the quote unquote God, little g, God of death. Why? Because when he is cursed, when the, in the Nahash, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, after he tempts Adam and Eve, God places a curse on him. And one of the parts of the curse says that, you know, you will crawl on your belly and dust will be your food. Now, we know that that's obviously not, he's not talking about an actual snake because snakes don't eat dust. They eat small animals. But dust represents man. Man is made from the dust. God tells Adam, from dust you were created and from, to dust you will return. Dust is the an, an idiom for man in his sinful state. And Satan, dust will be, dust will be the food of Satan, of the Nahash. He will, he will hunger for the death of man. So Satan is the Lord of death. So this could actually be Satan. But, you know, whoever it is, it's kind of academic. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to get into, but no matter what he is, we know, we don't, even if we don't know who he is, and again, I, I think it's one of the two, I think it's either a demonic entity called death that's, that's in charge of the death of man, or it's probably Satan himself. Either way, we know that he's going to be on this horse, on this horse, and he's going to be doing the other things we're going to be talking about. And it says Hades followed with him. Hades, or your uh, translation may say hell. But it, it, the, the proper translation in Greek is Hades. Hades, what is Hades? It's in, in uh, Hebrew, Sheol. It's the grave. It's the realm of the dead. It's where all the dead went before the resurrection of Jesus. Whether you're good or bad, um, you, you went to the grave. You went to, to Hades. Now in Hades, currently, it's, it's a realm of the unrighteous dead because when Jesus died, he went and set the captives of Hades free. They were in an area called Abraham's bosom, which is where the righteous dead would be, where and the unrighteous dead would be in a place called torment. So Abraham's bosom was paradise in Hades. There was two sections of it, and the other area was torment. And right now, Hades is just a realm of the unrighteous dead. And of course, that makes sense when we see what this horseman is doing. He's going to be responsible. He's given power over the fourth of the earth to kill. And so, of course, they're going to people who are unrighteous and killed are going to go to Hades. Another question is, is Hades just a place or is it a person? Because it says later in the same verse that power was given to them 
to death and to Hades. So it's, it's talking about death and Hades as independent sentient beings. Which is it? Well, I think it's both. Because remember multiple resolutions. I talk about that in, in on the um, on faithbyreason.net. You can go to the categories and look at multiple resolutions. And the idea of multiple resolutions is if something is mentioned in two different ways in the Bible, then both must be true. So if Hades is mentioned as a place and as a an individual independent entity, then it's both. Hades is both a place and an entity. But we can take comfort in the idea that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was given power over death and Hades. So these two entities are under the power of Jesus. They can't do anything more than Jesus allows. And while again, I don't believe that these judgments are from God, because I think that Jesus still, Jesus still has power over them, but he hasn't exercised that power just as he has legal claim to the earth and he has not claimed it for 2000 years. So there we go. So that's just a little primer there. So, and power was given to them, uh, still in verse eight, power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill. What does this mean, a fourth of the earth? Well, if we look at our current population numbers, if this were to start next week, then that's about 2 billion people. We're hovering around 8 billion people on the earth, the current population. A fourth of that is 2 billion people. Folks, that is massive, massive amount of death. I mean, unimaginable. There are not enough cemeteries, enough grave sites in the world to contain 2 billion dead people. I mean, it's so hard to imagine. Let's put it this way. The United States, everyone, this is where we live now here in America. If everyone in the United States were killed, if we were to all die tomorrow, well, that's only 350 million people. The U.S., we, we, we only have 350 million Americans. That means everyone you've ever met in this country, everyone you've ever seen, everyone you've ever looked at in, 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 uh, in stadiums and concert halls and on the freeways and the roads and in, in, in all the states, that's only 350 million people. That's not even, that, that's barely a fourth of a billion. It's about what, 20% or 25, barely 25% of a 1 billion people. That's nothing, that's just America. 2 billion, you're talking to population, you're basically talking like all of the Western hemisphere from Canada all the way to, to um, South America. That's maybe 2 billion people there. That is a massive, truly massive amount of people that are going to be killed through the work of this of this horseman unimaginable amount of death and again what are you going to do with all those bodies they're just going to run there's there's not enough places to put them there're not enough people to bury 2 billion dead folks My, it's just unimaginable the, the lack of sanitation just the, the the stench of it all is just something beyond what we can even comprehend so why is Satan doing this? Again, I said these are this is a part of satanic deception. So Satan is behind this. Why does he want to kill two billion people? I think he wants to kill more. But, but why with this result? Why does he want to kill so many people? Well, remember, the whole point of this deception is to set up what's called the new world order, the one world government. And I know this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but honestly, folks, we can't even call it a conspiracy theory anymore. Maybe 30 years ago, we could have called it that. Maybe even 20 years ago, we could have called it a conspiracy theory, but it's no longer conspiracy and it's no longer a theory. It is an open fact. It is the opposite of a conspiracy theory. It's not conspiratorial. No one's hiding it. It is talked about in the open and it is factual. You will find people at all levels of society 
from the top politicians and world leaders all the way down to your local uh, college and in high schools. Everyone is talking about a one world government. The world is crying out for a single world government to take care of all of our little disputes between nations, to um, have a world court where we can talk about human rights violations. There is a cry for it. And, and secular humanity is longs for it. And they've, and they've wanted it ever since Babel, the first world government under Nimrod, ever since, ever since then, man has been trying, man and Satan have been trying to consolidate all the nations that God split the world into after Babel. They've been trying to bring them back together. And we are closer now than we've ever been with, you know, God split the languages, but now we're with computers. We're, we're all speaking the same language. We are all communicating. We can travel to, you know, you can travel to any place in the world in a matter of hours. You can talk to anyone around the world in a matter of seconds. We are closer now to being consolidated, more consolidated, more consolidated than we've ever been. And it's what's, what's what we want. I mean, we had a, our president, a couple presidents ago, Barack Obama, when he was asked about American exceptionalism and how he feels about being American, he openly said he considers himself a world citizen, a global citizen. He called himself that, the president, who is supposed to be like the ultimate American, the ultimate representation of, of our nationalism as an American. He called himself a global citizen. And I'm not just trying to get on Obama about this because it's not just him. It is very popular to consider yourself to be a part of one world, one globe. This is something that people, the secular world wants. It's something that Satan wants. And it's something, again, he's been trying to do, trying to recreate since the days of Babel. And one of the primary tenets of world government is population control. We talked about it a lot last episode, and I'm gonna talk about it some more here. Population control is huge. Why? Does Satan and the people who follow him want population control? Because unlike God, Satan is not all powerful. He is not omnipresent. If you want to rule the world, the easiest way to rule people is to rule a few people. The more people you have to rule, the more difficult it is. Any of you who may have children right now, you know, the more children you have, the more difficult it is to control them. I only have two kids and they run me ragged. They drive me crazy sometimes because I'm trying to, to corral them. Um, imagine, you know, if you're a teacher and you have a classroom full of children, I don't know how teachers do it. God bless them. But the more people you have to control, the more difficult the control is. So the fewer people you have, the easier it is to control. So even Satan and all of his minions, and I know there are millions, possibly billions of minions. He wants the world population low so that it's easier to control. So that's one reason is to control fewer people. The other reason is Satan is trying to create a false Eden. He wants to do what God did. He wants to have this perfect paradise. And the more people you have in the world, the more pollution you're going to have just naturally, the more waste you're going to have, the more resources are going to be used up by human beings who need to eat and, and live and you know get rid of their waste and all that kind of stuff. So the fewer people you have, the cleaner the environment's going to be. I mean, that's pretty much a fact. That's pretty logical. And that's what all this environmentalism is all about in climate change and all that. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm all for... Uh, not having pollution if we don't have to. I, I, I'm against unnecessary pollution, but the climate change people are not just about reducing pollution. They are about a political control system that is going to basically control how much you eat and drink, how much power you use, how big of a house you have, how much property you own, because they're trying to control you, not just the environment. 
I mean, the climate always changed. I don't want to get into a big thing on climate change, but my problem is that, of course, the climate change is ridiculous to call it a bad thing. The climate always changes. Our climate is not static. We had ice ages, which means that the earth gets dramatically cooler, and then the ice melts, meaning the earth can warm up dramatically. And it's done that over the decades and centuries. The earth warms and cools, and it does that without any input from man. There were no SUVs driving around during the last ice age. There were no coal plants spewing out coal uh, dust. There were there were no uh, there were no nuclear power plants, and yet the earth warmed. Yet the earth cooled dramatically, and then it warmed dramatically. Meaning the earth goes through cycles of climate change without any input from man. And the idea that now this climate change is, is because of us. I think that's arrogant. Is the climate changing? Absolutely it is. Is it because of us? Highly unlikely. But I don't want to, I'm not going to go down, down that rabbit trail. But the point is, it's a control mechanism. And, and one of the big tenets of climate change and controlling the environment is reducing the population. They want fewer human beings. Satan wants fewer human beings. And that will, again, help him bring in his, his false utopia. So that's what this is all about. And how does he plan to do it? Well, the Bible says here, he, four ways. First is the sword. He will kill. They will kill with the sword. How? What does the sword mean? Well, in the Bible, the sword is an idiom for military action, war. So this will actually be war, unlike the red horseman who is normally called war. No, no, no. He, that's just that's about, so that's killing in order to have a, a blood ritual to to uh, increase demonic and satanic power on the earth. This sword will actually be war, be a, be a military engagement, and if. That includes a nuclear option, and countries all over the world have nuclear war, have nuclear uh, bombs. The, U the United States, you know, Russia, China, India, Pakistan, uh, most countries in Western Europe, uh, Israel—they all have nuclear bombs. And if there is a nuclear exchange, that could easily wipe out hundreds of millions of people in just a matter of hours. So that that can be easily accomplished through warfare. Another idiom for the sword in, in the Bible is capital punishment. Being put to the sword means being executed for a capital crime. What kind of capital crime could we be talking about here that will be done in mass? I believe, again, if Satan is in control, the people he, who he's going to want to kill are the people who are worshiping God. Now, while I believe that the believing church, the watchful church will be raptured before this, and you can go to the series on the rapture and give, and, and, and you can get uh, my thoughts there. However, after the rapture, people will still be coming to Christ. I think people who are seeing all these amazing, incredible, horrific things happening are going to turn to God and, and if they didn't before, and they're going to find to believe and say, okay, there really is a God, and they're going to turn to him. So there will be millions of people converting to Christianity, but they are they will be opposing Satan's plan. And, he's, and now that he has free reign, he's going to get rid of them. And I think they, people will be executed for their belief in Jesus, for their belief in the Bible, and, and remember, as I said during the, the episode about the white rider, he is going to blame God for all this stuff that's happening. And we're going to talk about that a lot more in the next episode. But the Antichrist is going to be, he's going to blaspheme God. He's going to say that this is not from Satan. This is from God. That God of the Bible is actually a horrible, cruel God. And he's doing all these things to you. And so anyone who believes in this quote unquote cruel God is an enemy of the global population and they will be executed. And it's not far fetched. You look at it today. It's all—it's practically illegal to believe many parts about the Bible. If you believe what the Bible says about sexuality, that's a hate crime, folks. You know, there right now in the state where I live, it is actually illegal for you to counsel someone out of homosexuality. If you were a homosexual and you 
decide you wanted to leave that lifestyle and you want to go to a church and have a, a, a pastor or a church counselor uh, help you leave that lifestyle, in my state where I currently live, you would be, the, the church would be arrested for that. The church counselor, the pastor could be arrested for that because it is illegal to try to get someone out of that homosexual lifestyle, even if the homosexual wants it. So we're well down the road to making Christianity completely illegal. And from there, it'll be a small step to make it a capital offense. So that's another, that's, that, that's another way that the sword can kill many people. Um, with, with hunger or famine, so unlike the Black Horseman, which is a, a quote unquote famine of, of economic manipulation, this will actually be a famine of true scarcity. And this means there, there just isn't any food. Not that food's too expensive, it just doesn't exist. How can that happen? Well, again, if, you, if there's that nuclear option in the, in the warfare, well, that could poison the soil. I mean, that all that radio, radioactive fallout, you won't be able to grow anything for years. And that could you know, deplete the soil. This, that means no crops. That means no vegetables. And of course, animals have nothing to eat, so there'll be no livestock. And also, uh, drought is basically the main way you have a famine if, there, if it doesn't rain. And I believe that uh, hum, human beings have the ability to manipulate the weather to a degree. The United States currently has non-aggression treaties with many nations and in those treaties it says that these nations will not pursue weather manipulation warfare well if humans can't manipulate the weather then why would that be in the treaty i believe human beings can there is an institution in alaska called harp and i you can see I, i'm showing it on the screen now the institution and what harp does is shoots high frequency energy into the upper atmosphere and their stated purpose is to study the ionosphere and all the other areas of the upper atmosphere. But there are those who believe that um, this, the, these, uh, this high frequency energy can manipulate global weather, weather patterns and possibly cause droughts. And that can be Satan's manipulation and get to, to uh, control the population by controlling the food supply. And of course, there's also the option that it could just be supernatural. I mean, Satan and the fallen angels, they have supernatural power. And without the Holy Spirit restraining them, it's entirely possible that they could use their supernatural ability to cause a famine. It's, it, we've seen it in the Bible before where there are supernatural famines and they can do it that way. So either way, they, there will be famine. Uh, and it says with death here, or actually the term is with pestilence, and that is disease. And we are seeing a precursor, a microcosm of that in, in our current age here in early 2021 with the COVID in 2020 with, with COVID-19. This is a, a worldwide pandemic and not to minimize it because it is killing millions of people and it's tragic, but this is nothing compared to what's going to be happening in Revelation during this time when you will have, again, COVID right now is a very, very virulent form of the flu, three times deadlier than the seasonal flu. But that's nothing compared to some of the diseases that have been created and are being created in laboratories around the world, including here in the United States. We are creating and have been creating diseases a, as a part of a bio warfare. We have been manipulating current diseases to make them more contagious and more deadly. Things like Ebola, which causes spontaneous bleeding. You have um, something called blackpox which is a form of smallpox that's even deadlier than the smallpox pandemic and more contagious, and it will kill millions of people. Um, and I firmly believe that COVID-19 is man-made. I do not think it's a coincidence that COVID started in Wuhan, China, and Wuhan, China happens to have a huge lab whose primary purpose is studying and creating diseases. It is no coincidence 
that a city that houses a disease created lab, a disease creating laboratory would be ground zero for a new disease that just appeared out of nowhere and quickly spread around the world. It is a man-made disease, whether it was released intentionally or unintentionally, I, it, it's man-made. And just imagine um, if you have man-made, more virulent Ebola and smallpox and bubonic plague all over the world, killing millions of people. You think the lockdowns that we're experiencing now are bad? And this is nothing, folks. This is just a minor precursor. This is God giving us a gentle warning to get right before the real deal happens. And that's going to happen with this fourth horseman when we are being killed by these pestilences. And lastly, the beasts of the earth. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It is not cows and chickens and goats and walruses and, 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 and seals and giraffes and wildebeests just trampling people and killing them and biting them and slapping them around and killing people. That's not what this is. Now, a lot of Bible commentators spend almost no time here because it just sounds weird. When you see beasts of the earth, you think, well, it must be animals. It must be your, your, your friendly dog and cat and your parakeet and your hamster just being demonically empowered to start biting you until you die. That's not what this is. How do we understand this? Well, let's just look at the the, the actual language. Let's, let's interpret it by what it says. The term beasts of the earth in the, the original Greek that John wrote is Therion Gigantes. Therion is beast. Gigantes means from the earth. How do we interpret this? Well, let's let the Bible interpret itself. That term beast, Therion, is used elsewhere in Revelation. In fact, it's used quite a bit in Revelation. We'll find it on, on a go-forward basis quite a bit. But it always refers to spiritually empowered beings. The Antichrist who we'll see, we'll start seeing in Revelation chapter 11 and then 13 and all through the rest of the Revelation that he's called a beast. The Antichrist is called the beast, the beast from the bottomless pit, from the abyss, from the abuso. What, and the Antichrist is a demonically empowered entity. The false prophet is called a beast. He is a demonically empowered entity. In Revelation chapters 17 and 18, we see that a woman who represents false religion is riding a beast and this beast is told... And uh, John is told that this beast represents the spiritual evil behind all the kingdoms of the earth. So beast is clearly spiritual evil, demonically empowered evil entities. That's what a beast is. What about the second part, gigantes? Well, the problem is that this is the only place it appears in Revelation. So we need to go elsewhere in the Bible to see what gigantes means. So I want to use what's called by theologians the law of first mention which basically states that the first time a, a term is used in the Bible, it's usually significant and revelatory and definitive. And the first time gigantes is used is in Revelation, excuse me, in Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six is the days of Noah, the precursor to the flood. And if you've been on faith by reason for any length of time, you know my feelings about, and my thoughts rather about Genesis chapter six and who, and what's going on in Genesis chapter 6. So let me just read the pertinent parts of Genesis chapter 6 and we'll go from there. Verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, Benaiha Elohim in Hebrew, saw the daughters of men, the Benoth Adam in Hebrew, that they were beautiful or more accurately, they were fit extensions. 
and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. They took wives. It doesn't sound like it was very consensual. It sounds like virtual sexual assault. They just took these wives for themselves and had intercourse with them. Uh, verse 4. Then there were giants or Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterwards when, or more accurately, whenever the sons of God, the Benai Elohim, came into or had intercourse with the daughters of men, Benoth Adam, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown, legendary figures. So I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time on this. We've got to talk about this quite a bit in the supernatural worldview. You can go to the uh, categories and, and check that out. But the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, were not the sons of Seth. Okay? It's, it's not. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense linguistically, logically, biblically. It doesn't make sense. These are not the sons of Seth. If it was the sons of Seth, they would have said the sons of Seth. It says the sons of God, the Benaiha Elohim. And the only entities called the sons of God at this point in history were angels, angelic beings. Okay. The only other people called the sons of God in the entire Bible are the children of Israel and the church, neither of whom exist during the days of Noah, so he is so these are angels. And they came down to the Banoth Adam, the daughters of Adam, which basically means women. Every woman is a daughter of Adam. Your mom, your sister, your your niece, your nephew, your daughter is a is is a Banoth Adam, a daughter of Adam. And and they had intercourse. They took him as wives, so meaning they had intercourse with them. So these are angels having sexual relations with women. It doesn't matter if it makes you uncomfortable. Does, the Bible says so. Whether or not it makes you uncomfortable is, is irrelevant. This is what the Bible says. If you don't believe the Bible, then maybe Christianity is not for you. You should try a different religion. But this is what the Bible says. These angelic beings had intercourse with these women and they produced children who were called giants or Nephilim. They were these special, they were hybrids. They were part human, part spiritual beings. And they were and it happens it happened when or whenever, because this happened after this, we see these Nephilim, these giants. After the days of Noah, Goliath of David and Goliath fame was a Nephilim. Og of Bashan in uh, in the book of Numbers was a Nephilim. The when the um, the, the children of Israel were, were spying out the the land of Canaan, they said, "Hey, there were giants. There were Nephilim in the land at that time." So they and that's why you know they gave the evil report and, and God made them stay in the wilderness for forty years because they wouldn't go in and take it. Anyway, these creatures are half human half demonic and they were they were on the earth in those days it makes it very clear so what does that have to do with what we're talking about in revelation because that word giants or nephilim in in the septuagint translation of the old testament which is the greek translation which is the translation that jesus and the disciples including the disciple john who penned revelation that is what that was their Old Testament. They they read the Septuagint version, and in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, that word giant or nephilim is translated gigantes, the earth born. That is what gigantes means. It means earth born. It means nephilim. Who are the beasts of the earth? Beasts, supernaturally empowered entities. Gigantes, earth born, nephilim. These are Nephilim. The beasts of the earth are not animals. They are not raccoons and squirrels and zebras attacking people. These are the Nephilim. They are going to come back. How do I know that? Um, let's look at the words of Jesus. Don't believe me? Maybe you believe Jesus. We talked about this in the, in the Olivet Discourse in, in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man, because 
in, in those days they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Well, and, and the, the translation that most people say is that, well, this means it's just business as usual. People are just hanging out and eating and drinking and going to baseball games and football games and getting married and going to weddings. And it was just business as usual. Well, that makes no sense because the time before the coming of Jesus is anything but business as usual. We're seeing it right here. We have horrible things happening. Rivers and oceans turning to blood, 100 pound hailstones raining down, demonic locusts, people getting sores all over themselves, the, 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 the sun being black and the moon turning to blood. This is not business as usual. It is as far from business as usual as possible. So he's not talking about that. When he says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriages, who is they? They are the, the Benaiah Elohim. They are these fallen angelic beings. They are going to be doing the same things as they did in the, in the days of Noah. They're going to be taking women and having intercourse with them and producing more Nephilim. The beasts of the earth are the Nephilim. They are these demonic and angelic human hybrids. And they happen to be actually giants. They were huge. Goliath was again, was a giant. Aga Bashan was 13 feet tall. And these were actually on the smaller end. The giants before the flood are rumored to be anywhere between 36 feet tall and taller. I mean, when I was living in L.A., I had a chance to meet Shaquille O'Neal, who played for the Lakers. You know, met him at, a, at, at an event. He's seven feet tall. He looked enormous. I mean, he looked like if he just like, you know, hit me one time, I, I don't know if I'd live. He was that big. And he's only seven feet tall. I mean, these Nephilim were double digit. They were 10 feet tall to 30 feet tall. They're, they were pr pretty, you know, mean dudes. And what did they, what did they do when they were on the earth? It says in the book of Enoch, and, and I know the book of Enoch is not in the Bible and I don't say it sh should be, but it was taken seriously by the first century Jews. Why, how do I know that? Because two writers of the Bible refer to it. Peter uh, quotes from the book of Enoch when he talks about the angels who left their first estate and they were put in chains under darkness. That's from the book of Enoch. Jude directly references Enoch and he says, you know, Enoch, he, he says Enoch himself, who was the fifth from Adam, talked about Jesus returning with 10,000s of his saints. That's a direct quote from the book of Enoch. So even though it's not part of the Bible, it's obvious that the people at that time, of the time of Jesus took it seriously because they quoted from it. So if the Bible quotes it, then we should take it seriously as well. And the book of Enoch makes it extremely clear that what, what was going on here was angels, again, interacting, having intercourse, intercourse with women and creating these Nephilim beings. And it does not matter whether or not you believe it. If you think that this is crazy and it's heretical and the sons of God in Genesis 6, uh, Genesis 6 were the sons of Seth, that's fine. You go ahead and believe that. But again, Jesus was not talking to you in Matthew chapter 24. He was talking to first century Jewish disciples. And it doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what they believe. And they, when you talk about the days of Noah to a first century Jew, they thought Nephilim. Whether, you, whether or not you believe it is irrelevant. It's important what they believe. And they believe in the Nephilim and that's what's happening here Jesus was telling them as it was in the days of Noah so so it shall be when I'm coming meaning the Nephilim will be on the earth again how did they get here well first of all I think that they they've been here a long time there are those who believe that these Nephilim are, are housed deep underground you can look at the works of Steve Quayle and Tom Horn if you want to get more into that you can google them and find them yourself I'll put a link to their websites in the show notes but also, remember, there at the Red Horseman, there's massive demonic energy being released. Satan is able to do things in this age, in that the age to come, 
in, in this uh, this period of time that he hasn't been able to do since the Holy Spirit was on earth. There, all the demonic activity that happened in Jesus' time was all, all stopped when the Holy Spirit indwelt the church. Now the Holy Spirit is gone out of the earth, Satan will be able to do all the demonic stuff he was doing before, and I believe it, including bringing back these Nephilim. And what did they do? They, it says in the book of Enoch, that they consumed the produce of men. They ate everything that man produced, and there's not going to be much around because of all the famines. And then the book of Enoch says that after they um, consumed all the works of men, because again, they were giants, they had to, they had to, eat, a lot of, had to eat a lot of food to sustain themselves. But, so once they finished eating everything that man produced, they started eating men themselves. They cannibalized human beings. So again, can you imagine what's going to be going on during this time, during the fourth horseman? You're going to have warfare, possibly nuclear war. You're going to have a, a serious lack of food, people starving. You're going to have diseases like we've never seen before. People just, just you know, covered in disease and not able to leave their houses and just dying massively. And then you're going to have gigantic beings, these Nephilim, 10 to 30 feet tall, walking around, eating everything, destroying everything, and eating human beings. I know this sounds crazy, but this is what happened. This is what happened in the days of Noah. This was the reason for the flood. The reason for the flood wasn't because men was beha were behaving badly. If that was the case, then why doesn't God flood us now? We're behaving just as bad as any generation. No, it was not a sin problem in the days of Noah. It was a genetic, it was a gene pool problem. There were these entities that God needed to destroy, and Noah was quite possibly the only pure human left. He was perfect in his generations, meaning that he was genetically pure. That's why God saved him. It's quite possible he was the only human, pure human being left. Satan almost won. He almost wiped out all of humanity. And this is going to happen again in the end time. It is going to be something that we cannot imagine, that we've never seen before and never will see again, thankfully. And I know it sounds incredible, but this is what the Bible says. And Jesus himself says if these days were not shortened, there would be no flesh saved. And with all this, it makes sense. It almost, I mean, that figure of two billion, that almost seems conservative now. With everything that's going on, it would seem to me like there will be more than two, two billion people dying. So again, maybe this is God's mercy that only two billion die with all this craziness happening. Okay, so we're over 40 minutes. So let's wrap this up by looking at the... Oh, I'm sorry. There's one more thing I want to look at just to, to give you one more proof point that, that the giants are, are, are here or, or will be here in case you still don't believe me. Jesus said it. And now that we can also look at the book of Isaiah when Isaiah is prophesying about the end times in Isaiah chapter 13. But we have to look at it um, in a different version, in the Septuagint version, the Greek version. Isaiah 13 reads very differently. So I'm going to read it to you right now. Verse 1, the vision which Isaiah, son of Amos, saw against Babylon. Lift up a standard to the mountains of the plain. Exalt the voice to them. Beckon with the hand. Open the gates, ye rulers. I give command, and I bring them. Giants are coming to fulfill my wrath, rejoicing at the same time and insulting. It says right there in Isaiah chapter 13, in the Septuagint, again, the version that Jesus and the disciples read, God says giants are coming to fulfill his wrath in the end times. So I, I know that, I, as I said, I don't believe that uh, Revelation chapter 6 is the wrath of God, but it does mean that during the period of time, immediately immediately following this, which we'll start getting into a, a few episodes from now, there will be 
these giants, these Nephilim, these Gigantes on the earth. So it's in Isaiah, it's in Matthew 24, it's in Revelation chapter 6. I'm sorry, it's here in the Bible. If you don't like it, that's unfortunate. If, but you don't believe the Bible is true, then again, maybe Christianity is not for you. All right, so again, as I said, let's wrap this up by uh, talking about the fifth seal. So in verse 9, uh, Jesus opens the fifth seal and he sees the, under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God. So these are martyrs. These are people who have been slain from slain for believing in God all the way, starting with, with Abel, who was the first martyr, the first person slain for his belief in God by his brother Cain, all the way up until the martyr who's going to be slain five minutes from now. They all cried out and saying, how long, O Lord, until you judge us? So basically they're saying, you know, God, when are you going to, there, there's a frustration. You're saying, God, we know you're holy and true. We know you're righteous and just. When are you going to avenge us? And God tells them, wait a little while until more people, until the people who are going to be martyred for my sake is complete and they're given white robes. Now, why is this verse here? I believe that it's here to show, it to, as a proof point, that what's happening with these four horsemen, and I believe the next seal as well, are not from God. They are from Satan. Because if these if, if these are judgments from God, if the four horsemen are from God, then what the martyrs say and how God responds makes absolutely no sense. However, if, if it's from Satan, it makes perfect sense. Let me explain. Let's go. Let's go with the hypo, with the hypothesis that these four horsemen are from God. That these the, the white and red and, and black and pale horsemen. These are judgments from God. God is judging the earth. Well, if God is judging the earth, why in the world would the martyrs be? asking God, when is he going to judge the earth? That makes no sense. If they're looking at the earth and they're seeing God's judgment, these the beginning of God's judgment, why would it make any sense to them to say, hey, God, when are you going to judge the earth and avenge us? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they just look down and say, oh, God's doing it? But no, they, they don't say that. They're asking God, when is he going to do it? The only reason to ask God, when is he going to do it, is if he's not doing it. Furthermore, if God was judging the earth with these four horsemen, four horsemen, then wouldn't God say to them, hey guys, I'm doing it. When they cried out and say, God, when are you gonna when are you gonna avenge us? When are you gonna judge the earth? God would say, I, I am right now. Look down, look, see what I'm doing? I'm I'm I got you guys. I am punishing the earth. These four horsemen are for me. I'm punishing them, I'm getting them back for all the wrong that they did to you. But God doesn't say that. It doesn't make sense for him to say to say to tell them to wait if he's judging now. Why would, why would God say, hey, I'm judging them, but wait. No, that doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, imagine their point of view if these judgments are from Satan, if Satan is killing massive amounts of people, if he's consolidating his world empire, if he is, it, it looks like he's winning. I mean, that's really what it looks like. Satan has his antichrist coming, uh, growing in power and influence and blaspheming God. He has a massive blood sacrifice that's, that's unleashing demonic energy. He's control. He's in control of the economics. And now he is wiping out 2 billion people. It looks like Satan's winning. So it would make total sense for the martyrs to say, God, we know you're righteous. We know you're just. We know you have our, you're on our side. But when are you going to do it? Things aren't getting better. It's getting worse. Satan is winning. God, when are you going to do it? When are you going to help us out? When, you, when are you going to avenge us? And then it will make sense for God to say, don't worry. I know things look bad. I know it looks like Satan is winning, but just be patient. It's almost over. Just wait a little while longer. Here, here's your white robes that you've earned. Thank you so much for being martyrs for my sake. Thank you for laying down your life 
for your belief in me. I, I appreciate it. I love you for it. Here's a white robe. Here is your crown. But just be a little patient. And I promise you, Satan is, Satan's reign is almost over. And then I'm going to avenge you like you deserve. Doesn't that make more sense than for them to say, hey, God, I know you're judging the world, but when are you going to judge the world? And for God to say, yes, I'm judging the world, but hey, wait for me to judge the world. Which more makes more sense? Well, obviously, the it makes more sense that Satan is win. Looks like Satan's winning. The martyrs are frustrated and and getting impatient. And God just says, "Don't worry, guys. It's almost over. As soon as say, say I'm giving Satan a little bit of rope, and but it's almost done. And then I am going to finally avenge you. That makes far more sense. So that's why this is one of my primary proof points that these four horsemen are not from God. They are from Satan. All right, I'm way over time, but I needed to get all this stuff out there. It's very important stuff. It is very different from, from probably from what you've heard your entire life. And I'm asking you to please take it seriously. You don't have to believe it. It's totally up to you. Please pray on it. Do your own research. Look into it. But I think that I've made a pretty good case for, for what I believe. And if you think I'm wrong and you have good reason, then please let me know in the comments. All right. So um, that's it. I'm going to wrap up now. Uh, thank you for listening. I truly appreciate it. Please leave me your comments. I'd love to know what you think about this. I know this is radically different from traditional thinking. I mean, from, from, from traditional thinking and teaching. It is different from what you've probably read about Revelation before. But again, I have given you my reasoning and I'd love to hear any objections to it any reason why you think it might not be true or, or or any places that you think that maybe I haven't even gone far enough. Maybe it's even worse than I think it is. So I'd love to hear any of that. Uh, please subscribe to Faith by Reason here on YouTube by hitting the subscribe button and the notification button and the like button and the button button and all the buttons you need to press to uh, to promote this. Thank you for that. Please subscribe on faithbyreason.net by putting your email into the right navigation area. And I will talk to you next week. And next week is... I'll begin the culmination of this by looking at the sixth seal. And the sixth seal is supposedly cosmic disturbances. And there will they will be cosmic disturbances, disturbances and earthquakes. But it's again, as with everything else, it's way more than that. When the stars, the stars falling from heaven is not stars, literal stars. Obviously, stars are too huge. If one star came too close to the earth, it would, you know, burn us to a crisp. These are not stars. They're not meteorites. They're not asteroids hitting the earth. No. The stars of heaven mean something very specific in the Old Testament and, and, and in the New. The stars falling from heaven represent entities coming to heaven, coming down from heaven. And this, this will be the culmination of Satan's false apocalypse. This will be Satan bringing forth his saviors. The stars falling from heaven represent Satan coming to save the world from his false apocalypse and putting the finishing touches on his world empire. And it will present the final proof point that this is from him and not from God by what the people say when they are hiding in the mountains and in the caves. What they say is another proof point that they are deceived and that this apocalypse is from Satan and not from God. And we will talk about it next week and I'll see you then.